Hello and welcome to the Writer's Cookbook Podcast. With me is the woman who's still trying to convince herself there's a use for a history degree. It's Ellie Betts. And she's the woman who's using me for my history degree. It's Christina Adams. What better way to use it than to research famous faces for this very podcast? Well, it does make me feel useful. This week we're talking about Maya Angelou. She was very much an inspirational woman and did so much with her life that it would be hard to cover absolutely everything. So instead of doing that, we'll just be covering one aspect of her life today. Does that mean more episodes about her in the future? I think maybe we could do that. But today we're going to focus on how her career didn't necessarily start where you'd expect, considering she is most well known for being a poet. Oh, I'm intrigued. Let's go. So, Miss Angela was born as Marguerite Annie Johnson on April the 4th, 1928, and died, unfortunately, on May 28th, 2014. She is known for being a poet, first and foremost but also a memoirist, civil rights activist, singer, dancer, and mother. She's most commonly known for poetry and her series of memoirs, starting with I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which details her life up to the age of 17. I didn't realise she did so much. Like, I had no idea she was a singer and dancer as well, for example. Yeah, I'll get to it, but I think... That's what I want to focus on today. She wasn't necessarily always a writer, despite how prolific a writer she became. She wasn't necessarily always going to do that or always on that path. But they're meant to be sometimes if you Mm -hmm. put the work in, aren't they? Precisely. So (laughs) tell me more about what her upbringing was like. She didn't have the best start in life, if I'm honest with you. So her parents, when she was very young, wanted to get divorced. She was three at the time and her brother was four. Her brother Bailey, who she was very close with, were sent across country on the train to live with their dad's mum, so their paternal grandmother, in a little town called Stamps in Arkansas. I love that name. (laughs) I know, it's a cute name. I know, it makes your eye grow sound really boring. Actually, it was really boring. Yeah, yeah, you're not cool enough to live in Stamps. Um, No, not. Her grandma owned a small convenience store, and her grandma was actually the daughter of former slaves. So it just goes to show what sort of upbringing she had. You know, her grandma, the way she talks about her, was very hardworking. Um, she was very determined, and she actually taught Maya a lot. It's a reminder as well the fact that you know people who lived through slavery aren't that far removed from our current generation, and it's so easy to forget that it's not long you know not all that long ago should I say it's one of those things you think it happened centuries ago yeah it's only two or three generations that people were still being treated like property and in some countries still are and it's horrible it really is boring um Maya talks in her memoir about the store because she spent many many hours there as a child uh, and about how it was actually set opposite a cotton field where the workers would go and pick cotton during the day so the supported a lot of locals, helped a lot of sort of um, general day-to-day things that people would need and often fed or 
gave drinks and bits and pieces to those who worked in the field. That's so cute. It's nice. I like that. Supporting it's, the locals is really nice. Yeah, it's such a sense of community to do that, I think. And that's been lost a lot in the modern age. Like, I don't even know our neighbours, for example. <laughs> to be fair, this is the first place I've lived where I actually knew my neighbour since I moved out of, obviously, the home growing up. I don't think I've ever actually spoken to any of my neighbours. Which is terrible, really, isn't it? A little bit, but that's the modern world for you, isn't it? It is. I've got quite nice neighbours, though. You do, that's true. When Maya was seven, uh, her father turned up out of the blue in Stamps, Arkansas. I decided that Maya and her brother were to go back to live with their mum in California. Her father decided she was going back with her mum. Surely well, the mum should have been the one to retrieve them. I believe the mum and dad were still... Uh, they weren't together, but I think they were still talking. And it wasn't a great decision. Um, shortly mm. after they moved back, Maya was unfortunately sexually abused by her mother's boyfriend. At first, she didn't tell anyone who did it, as the culprit told her he'd kill her brother if she confessed, her brother being the only person she cared about. Her brother reassured her in uh, that he would not let a man let the man kill him, uh, with all of the confidence that only a nine-year-old big brother can muster, I imagine. The man How old was she at this time again? She was seven. A year, yeah. So she, she was seven when she moved back. She was eight when it happened. I think. Oh my god, that's horrific. It is horrific. But there's, you could say, there is a small light at the end of the tunnel because after she told her brother what happened, the man was actually arrested, but unfortunately only in prison for one day. Shortly after, a few days later, a police officer visited my mum to tell her that the man had been killed. Though I don't believe anyone was convicted for it, it is assumed that this was at the hands of Maya's uncle. Maya, being an eight-year-old and not fully grasping how the world works, convinced herself that it was her voice that killed him. In her eight-year-old mind, she decided that she had killed him by speaking his name, and so she actually stopped talking for fear of what her voice may be capable of. Oh my god. Her and Bailey were sent back to live with her grandmother again, not long after that. She was actually voluntarily mute for five years. Wow. During, I know, five years. During, That's, I don't know, although that is a childish, a ch that's childish was like the wrong word, a childlike way to deal with trauma because you don't have the language to express mm -hmm. it generally. It's why a lot of kids do art therapy. Mm -hmm. For five years. Five years. She would have been a teenager by that point. Exactly. But during those five years, she studied. She studied classic authors, uh, poets, plays. She studied Shakespeare. She studied all of this wonderful work under the tutelage of her teacher, Mrs. Bertha Flowers, which I just think is the most lovely name. It is. I kind of wonder as well, in a way, if the fact that she was mute made her a better student because she was listening and taking more in. She wasn't thinking about what she had mm -hmm. to say. She was thinking about what the words on the page meant or what her teachers or classmates, if she had any, were saying around I think, her. And I, this is not a direct quote. I can't remember exactly what she said. But she said something along the lines of it, it taught her to really observe the world. So she was enjoying her time under the teaching of Mrs. Flowers. But Mrs. Flowers, at the pivotal moment, told Maya, you don't like poetry. 
you're you will not fully appreciate poetry until you speak it yourself until you feel the power of the words on your lips and Maya being adamant that she did like poetry had to cry and it that's was. clever that's <laughs> so damn clever it is clever I don't know if that was entirely planned but I think that worked really well <laughs> well the thing is like yes you can read poetry on the page and there are some poems like concrete poems that are designed to be seen to be fully understood but many of it many of it much of it is written to be heard and you don't fully appreciate the language of it until you hear it so I can certainly see where Mrs Flowers was coming from and I think that probably was a really pivotal moment for her I think it was in one of the documentaries I saw she said something something along the lines of I discovered that even though I'd abandoned my voice, my voice hadn't abandoned me. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really lovely. That's so beautiful. And I wonder what it was like for her to read a poem for the first time after being mute for so long to hear her voice again, because her voice must have changed by then as well. Yeah, your voice changes as you get older. I wonder if it changes differently if you don't speak, but think there are so many poems out there that are powerful and especially when read like you say it must have felt good I'm sure I'd love to know what poem it was that um she read that if I really can find it I'll put it in a, in the Facebook group or something oh yes please don't remember coming across it but I'll look just for you guys thank you it's gotta That's be somewhere it's gotta be somewhere because it was such a pivotal moment in her life I'll, I'll go through why the cage bird sings again so unfortunately, there is still a little more turbulence in her life as she, um, she and her brother moved back to California with their mum again when she was 14. But at the age of 16, she became the first black female cable car conductor. I know nothing about cable cars, I'll be b- brutally honest. <laughs> but no, that's kind of that. cool. I don't know if I do. <laughs> she, by the sounds of it, really enjoyed working on the cable car, so she liked doing it. She was good at doing it um didn't let the fact that she was black or a woman hold her back which I think is wonderful but again it goes to the show she deviated from the path you know she she didn't go oh I really like poetry I'm going to continue down this route I'm going to become a poet this is what I'm born to do she just said I need a job I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna be good at it and she nailed it <laughs> yeah it reminds me of a lot of stuff I've been studying lately And there's a real trend in the business community at the moment around confidence and how it's not about your ability to be able to do something. It's whether or not you're confident in your ability to do it and you learn the skills to be able to do it well by having the confidence to give it a go in the first place. Mm, That's really interesting. Confidence is key. And sometimes faking it when you feel like shit. (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) At age 17, Maya gave birth to her son, who is called Guy Johnson. I think they were quite close by the sounds of it. By some of his testimony about her life and things, it sounds like they were really close and did a lot together. That's really cute. Yeah, yeah. But there was a chunk of her life where, like I say, she didn't like much at all. So while trying to earn money to support her son, she would work as a dancer and a singer at various small-time gigs, including somewhere she had to travel with the show. In... 1954, she actually danced professionally around San Francisco and started her singing career. In 1959, she met an author who strongly encouraged her 
to move back to New York and join the Harlem Writers Guild, which is where she started writing more again. But again, her career and her big break didn't come to a little bit later. Later, after this point, this is the time, she um, met Martin Luther King Jr. and found him very inspiring, which starts off her passion for black civil rights. During 1961, she performed on stage, including a play called The Black, which was written to expose racial prejudices and stereotypes, as well as the black identity. It was quite a controversial play by the sounds of it. I obviously haven't seen it myself, but it highlighted a lot of the injustices and the disparity between how black people and white people lived at the time, all done in sort of uh, metaphor and stuff. It sounds like the sort of thing I'd probably enjoy watching. It sounds um, quite clever. Yeah. Is it definitely. still around or is it one of those that's kind of faded into obscurity? When I looked it up, I could only see a couple of performances listed uh, like decades ago. I don't know if anyone would pick it up these days. I'd like to think the face of racism has changed, so it would be interesting to see. I think the face of racism has changed. Racism is still an issue, but I think it's changed since 1961. So oh, yeah, it's totally. It's relevant these days. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because, it, mm. it, like you say, it's still a thing, but the face of it has changed. It's much yeah. more subtle now, which makes it harder to, not necessarily harder to comment on, but harder for some people if you're looking at life through the wrong lens to pick up on. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe someone from today might not appreciate how uh, well the, the um, play was written, but I, I'd still be interested to see something like that. Yeah, you'd have to kind of look at it through a modern lens, but also look at it through a 1960s lens to be able to fully contextualise it, given the difference in attitudes. Exactly right. Her and her son actually moved to Cairo shortly after with her then love interest, where Maya worked as an associate editor at a weekly English language newspaper. That's really cool. I didn't know she lived in Egypt. She did. I think that's cool too. (laughs) She actually speaks very highly of her time living in Cairo. She had lots of parties and social gatherings, both hosting and attending. Uh, Sadly, in 1962, she broke it off with her uh, lover of the time and her and Guy moved to Ghana so he could attend university there. Unfortunately, he was injured in a car accident um, before he was due to start university. Um, He's still alive. He he was seriously injured. Um, I don't think he can walk, or at least he couldn't for a long time. Poor guy. I know, it must be horrible. She actually ended up working for the university, though, and was active in the local African-American community that were living in Ghana at the time. Whilst there, she also met Malcolm X, who is another big name in the civil rights, just the same as Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, He was actually in the country to gain support for his civil rights campaign in America. In 1965, she moved back to the US to support him in his new civil rights organisation, the Organisation of Afro-American Unity, but he was sadly assassinated shortly after. Shit. She did travel to Hawaii for a while after this to join her brother and resume her singing career, which I think she quite enjoyed. Although she was never classically trained, or technically trained even, um, she was quite a good singer and was very well known for Calypso music, which was a big thing at the time. Are there any videos on the internet of her singing? Oh, yeah. There are, even Amazon Music has it. If you tell oh, it, I didn't know that. Tell it by music I... by Maya Angelou, and it will. During the 60s, she took part in various civil rights protests and marches, 
Martin Luther King Jr. asked her to organise one for him in 1968. He was actually assassinated weeks later, later on April the 4th, which was her 40th birthday. Shit. Yeah. I think this put her off a little bit. Um, I don't know that I'd say she took it personally, but I don't know. It wouldn't feel good if I was her. Definitely not, no. Especially if she was like close to him and working with him and stuff. And I get the impression she was really quite fond of him. She admired him quite a lot. So that would have, that would probably have done a little bit. Later, though, she actually started doing some writing professionally. Ooh, is this the first time she kind of delved into it, quote unquote, properly? Kind of. I mean, she was with the um, Harlem Writers Guild, as I said. I don't know that she did anything properly or professionally or paid, I guess. Um, but he wrote, produced, and narrated 10-part TV series called Blacks, Blues, Black, which was a documentary about about blues music and Black American African heritage. Nice. Yeah. Shortly afterwards, 1969, was when she wrote her first autobiography about her early life, titled I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. After being asked several times by Random House editor Roger Loomis, Roger Robert Loomis, inventing a name there. Why not? That's what I do. <laughs> uh, why was she reluctant? Do we know why she was reluctant initially? She was never interested in writing about her life. She didn't think anyone really would be interested in hearing about her life. And it's oh, and how, how wrong, wrong she was. was. People still talk about her life and what she did and what she's been through and the the way that she wrote it is so unique. It did incredibly well, as you know, people still talk about it. But she didn't want to do it. Loomis actually had to ask her so many times to finally take the plunge and do it for him. And then obviously it took off. <laughs> but the point is here that she was 41 when she published her first book. First book. Don't forget that. So it goes to show it doesn't matter, like I say, where you come from, what you do at the start of life. If it's meant to happen and you put the work in, it can happen. It doesn't matter if you're 21, 41, 61, 81. Maya Angelou, who is wildly famous and popular, was 41 when she published the book that made her career, that kicked off her career. I think it's food for thought as well. Her not wanting to write about it shows a lack of confidence in herself. You know, it's that whole, I'm not interesting enough. Why does anyone want to hear what I have to say? And that's something I hear a lot of writers say, is that they don't feel they're interesting enough. Their writing style isn't unique enough, etc. But just because you believe that, that doesn't mean the rest of the world agrees. Exactly. Having that unbiased perspective is invaluable. And it's hard to do that when you're looking at your own writing sometimes. Yeah, you, it's really hard to get out of your own head and ask yourself, what would someone who doesn't know me think? What can I do to get them, to hook them in this way, you know? Definitely. Two short years later, her first book of poetry was published. I thought, just give me a cool drink of water before I die, which is die with three eyes and an E, by the way, which... I, I, did, I didn't look up the reason for but I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite clever. 
I want to know the reason why now. I won't ask, but oh, I want to know. Sorry. So I'm going to have to look it up after this episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's the power in me. It's the power in me. I have to know the reasons but, for these choices. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I try to not include every single detail about her in this episode. Because there's so much to cover. So there, there are unfortunately going to be some little holes, my dear audience. But I try to bring you an interesting story. <laughs> and it is. It is really interesting and really inspiring. I think so. I've got some information here about some other bits and pieces that she did. So, uh, as I said, she's recorded music, acted in plays. Um, she's worked as a composer for movies. She's written articles, short stories, TV scripts, documentaries, autobiographies, and poetry. I did also, not know she'd written that much. She's also produced plays um, and various other things. Uh, she has an acting career. She's acted in various different movies. Uh, she actually appeared as a supporting role in Roots, which is a very famous TV miniseries. She was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And in 1993, she was asked by President Bill Clinton to write a poem, for which she came up with the famous On the Pulse of Morning. Was that for his inauguration or was it just like, write me a poem? It was for his inauguration, yes. When she did that, it was the first time they'd had a poet at the inauguration for, it was over 30 years. I think it was 61 since they last had a 60-something. Since they last had a poet, I think it was Robert Frost um, was the last time they had a poet at the inauguration. So quite a big thing. And obviously being black female poet as well, it was supposed to signify a change in the way America was going to function in terms of race going forward. I don't know. Kind of like what uh, Biden did. Exactly. <laughs> 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 but it goes to show. I know I've said this about ten million times already, but it goes to show that you don't. People don't always write all their lives. People can start writing later in life, and still be incredibly successful. It's not just Maya Rizu. There's tons of people that have done that. Yeah, there are a lot of prolific authors who don't start writing until they're retired. Yes, you can achieve whatever you want with your writing, however old or young you may be, if you want to, and you put the work in. If you don't feel like you're there yet, there is a chance it may be not the right time, but you can make it the right time if you want to. You can achieve your wildest dream. Yeah. <laughs> that was such like an uplifting story, and it had obviously a lot of emotional and physical pain in it but for her to come out the other side and do all the things that she's done and most people who quote her and talk about her have no idea of what she went through they have no idea i wish i could just sit here and read you my angelo poems for the rest of the day but um maybe we'll do that another day (laughs) (laughs) yeah we don't have time for that we don't have time for that but you can keep the conversation going if you come and join us on our free Facebook group. If you visit writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. Yeah, we're always in there talking writing, editing, and mindset. So we would love for you to come and join us. And I promise to be on there more. And also, Christina wrote that line for me just to make me promise. And now I'm tied into doing it. So I'll see you there. <laughs> Good writer. I'd pat you on the head condescendingly if we were sat next to so. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry I missed it. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can support the Writer's Cookbook by visiting writerscookbook.com forward slash support.
And you can just donate the once if you prefer. You can donate monthly. It's up to you. There's no obligation to send us uh, billions of dollars every month, but we are open to that. Definitely, definitely. Support our content creation and allows us to help you achieve your writing goals. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, take care, and we'll see you next time. Bye.